Sir Balvin, Kimberly Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraph Studio. My guest on this edition of Fangraph Studio, making his weekly Monday appearance on a Monday. This is a weekly Monday appearance, and he has made it, in this case, on a Monday. Managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is the guest on this program. As he does every week, Dave Cameron endeavors here to analyze all baseball of particular note. This week, the resignation of John Coppolella from the Atlanta Braves. On Monday, Atlanta's general manager departed from his post. And while the precise reasons for Coppolella's departure have yet to be revealed, it does appear to have been due to, quote, unquote, a breach of the rules regarding the international player market. Of course, the international player market doesn't resemble much of a market at all, at least not an open market and or free market. There have been considerable efforts among ownership in recent years to curtail spending in the international player market, most notably with the construction of bonus pools, international bonus pools. However, these constraints in spending have created unintended consequences and perhaps what one might call in economics perverse incentives. Because organizations are no longer able to outspend one another, they are incentivized to pursue other, and in this case illegal, means uh, by which to acquire players. The Boston Red Sox did this a few years ago when they attempted to package players, uh, multiple players from the same Buscones. There have been a few other examples from uh, the past decade. And the most recent reports at the moment suggest that upwards of 15 teams are being investigated for having reached early deals with prospects in Latin America. What is the breadth of uh, this malfeasance? among baseball organizations is one question I direct in Dave Cameron's direction. Another one is, how might one solve it? Those questions and others like them represent the bulk of the conversation to follow. Of course, it's not only the captains of industry who own baseball teams who suffer from short-sightedness of this sort. Dave Cameron wonders about the creation of Fangraphs Audio itself, why it exists, and why it continues to exist. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, like, how well thought out this was at the ownership level Painful words, painful truths, home truths from Dave Cameron. Uh, <clears throat> before we move on to a conversation with that same managing editor, I am both obliged and privileged uh, to make an announcement regarding Fangraphs memberships. To this effect, they exist, is the comment. Uh, Fangraphs memberships exist for a reasonable fee. Readers of Fangraphs.com can support the excellent work that appears at that site. And for a slightly less reasonable fee, readers can acquire an ad-free membership which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the tyranny and the distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs ad-free membership available at Fangraphs.com by clicking around at Fangraphs.com specifically. Okay, uh, with that advertisement now complete, let us move on to the conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. And when does it begin? Right now. Probably the most logical place to start at the moment uh, is with um, with a post that you just published on Instagrams. Uh, very much, I think. Uh, Owing uh, uh, some debt to Ken Rosenthal's reporting. As uh, always, Ken Rosenthal breaks the story. Yeah, and then uh, Jeff Passan, it appears as though, uh, has been doing some work. Jo- uh, well, so the matter at hand, uh, it appears, concerns Braves GM John Coppolella. Former GM. Yeah, it would appear uh, imminently 
Has no, he, is, it, is it, it's been confirmed. He's out. It's, oh, it's been confirmed. Yeah, okay. Franco yeah. uh, <clears throat> Bala, who is the GM, it, or was a GM uh, um, up till this moment, and then uh, and was serving in the capacity that, in a, uh, I guess, in the front office in a way that a number of GMs do now, which is that he was not necessarily the final decision maker. He was John Hart's number two, but right. with increased power, like so when John Hart was the GM and Capalella was the GM, or the assistant GM, um, they made the shift in order to kind of give Copy a little bit more leeway. So, you know, I would say in this structure, he probably had more authority than maybe a guy like Jed Hoyer in Chicago, uh, where that's still pretty clearly Theo Epstein's show. <laughs> um, in this case, Hart still... Necessarily, it was like the conduit between baseball operations and ownership, but but Capalella probably had more authority on a day-to-day basis than a lot of kind of the the GMs working under a president of baseball operations. Now, uh, I would say uh, it's perhaps some indication of his uh, personality, of uh, his um, engagement with all manner of baseball people that uh, you referred to him as copy. Uh, yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not very frequent that uh, you refer to uh, baseball front office members directly or by their nicknames. Um, now, I never had any interactions with John Coppola. I do know that he gave um pretty excellent uh, interview to – he's given a couple, I think, to Fangraphs. Yeah. Um, very open very open about uh, his strategies, his, uh, his preferences – and I think that, um, if I'm not mistaken, he had a reputation as like a very social guy. Uh, well, we can get into that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I'll, first of all, have, I'll, I'll, say, yeah, I'll say that I call him Copy because everyone in the game calls him Copy because his last name is annoying to pronounce. Like, well, um, this is uh, I, what I hear is a is a classic anti-Italian sentiment. Yeah, I mean, like, like, this fine. is the Matt Sopo where everyone just calls him Tui. <laughs> Because, right, like, right. no one wants to say Tui Asasopo. Right. Um, no one wants to say Kobalala. So right. the entire, like, even the people in the game who don't like him, which is a number of people, mm-hmm. everyone calls him Copy just because okay. his last name stinks. Mm-hmm. Difficult, yeah. right. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think, like, um, you know, I've had some personal interactions with Kobalala over the years. Uh, a, a lot of writers actually have. So I think one thing, like, Jeff Passon tweeted out, because there's actually been a fairly large disconnect between how Kobalala was viewed publicly and how he was seen inside the game because I think maybe more than any other person that I know of over the last five years, he cultivated a public uh, persona and did a very, he was very aggressive in courting writers to, you know, call him a future GM and say good things about him and, and really cultivate his public persona. Um, and he, I think he spent probably more time than most um kind of publicly politicking, um, and it worked. I mean, he was, to his credit, he became a general manager, and there's a lot of other guys in his um, his situation that would still be assistant GMs if he hadn't kind of played the media. And so um, I do think that the way that Coppola is viewed publicly is not how he was necessarily viewed in the game. He was, um, he was social to writers um, because he could get something from them, mostly, um, but within the game, he was probably the most disliked front office member in baseball. Uh, for what for what sort of behavior then? So it, I mean, it really depends on who you talk to. Um, it, you know, there are people within the Braves organization who kind of were holdovers from the previous organization or previous administration who didn't like some of the changes he put in place and didn't like the way that they were treated. So you could certainly think of those as like 
um, you know, sour grapes or bitterness or something. But I think uh, one of Frank Run's sons, um, Frank Rem, the former GM who uh, copies the assistant GM under, um, has been publicly bashing Cuffalella on Twitter for weeks now. Like if you search for, um, I think it was Kyle Wren. I think it was. Is it Kyle Wren also employed as a as a ball player still? Uh, yeah, I mean, there I are... might, uh, Frank Wren has a number of sons in baseball, so I might have the wrong one. Okay, right, yeah. Kyle um, Wren. Anyway, is, there's yeah. there's a Frank Wren son out there who's been just destroying Cuffalella on Twitter for for quite a while now. He's clearly part of the previous administration that was not happy with some of the changes. Um, but also just people in the other in other organizations just didn't really like the way that Coppola um, handled their communications, um, you know, both in trade negotiations and, um, you know, just other uh, situations that arise where teams have to, you know, kind of talk to each other. There's um, there's ways of doing things, and Coppola did, did them his own way. Right, okay. Uh, now, the issue at hand... Did, uh, now, you say he's resigned... And it appears, uh, according to reports by Rosenthal, that it uh, it might concern the manner in which uh, players were acquired out of Latin America. Well, what we know is the the release said it was in about something about the international market. So mm-hmm. the international generally is Latin America. Ninety five percent of the players signed internationally come from um, you know the Caribbean or or Central or South America, um, but also. You know, there's one kind of looming um, international star who has potentially had lots of columns written about the kind of shady ways in which a team could acquire him. So, are you very uh, I don't, purposely omitting his name? No, I mean, it's clearly Shohei Otani, right? So, like, uh, I think I don't I don't think that this is related to Shohei Otani. Otani, as far as we know, hasn't even retained um, an agent yet, and so it's probably too early in the game for someone to have like actually done something to get caught. But I, I, if it comes out that this was related to someone in the Braves organization saying something to Otani or someone Otani related uh, about how they could potentially get him to Atlanta, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. I'm not saying that's definitely what it is. I have no inside information. But we have a, you know, Major League Baseball is dealing with a very specific case where it's pretty likely that people are going to try and break some of their rules or at least stretch them to the limit. Um, and this could be Major League Baseball's way of being like, don't do that. Okay, all right. So, uh, but that's just speculation. As far that's as completely know. speculation. I could be completely wrong. This could, ter- I mean, the most, like, if you were going to say, like, what's the most likely scenario that happened here is, you know, the July 2 signing bonus, uh, signing class that just came about a few months ago. There were probably some, um, uh, improprieties related to how those guys were paid. So, like, the last time we saw a GM, Resign over something like this was Jim Bowden in 2009, um, when the Nationals were basically skimming their, their prospects signing bonuses. So they would say, you know, look, we're gonna give you $60,000 signing bonus, but you're only worth 20, so then you give us that 40 when you get back in the, in the country and we're gonna go, you know, spend that on cars or boats or hookers or whatever we wanna spend our money on. Um, so they were stealing money from the organization, uh, by, through, through the way they were signing players. Um, we don't know that that's what happened here, but that is something that has happened previously in Major League Baseball where a GM has been forced to resign because of international uh, allegations. And so um, it could be something along those lines where, um, you know, there were some some uh, rules being broken about how the players were paid. You know, just uh, I don't actually I don't know if I, I have a complete list of the of Atlanta's uh, international signings right here. Um, but it, it, the, the, those that, that I do have in front of me. Um, lists their top two signings as Asmin 
or Asmin Batista and then Oscar Nunez, both out of the DR. And and uh, those are, um, and then a number of other signings, but those are the two most prominent, it seems like. And they're only for 300000 and 185000 respectively. Yeah, I think the Braves were in the, the penalty this year, right? Yeah. Like they weren't allowed to sign anyone for over a significant amount of it money. It makes sense just given the, uh, sorry, yeah. this is a... So I, I believe the Braves were in the, in the penalty this year. Right, okay. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and that could be why, you know, that perhaps they found a way to sign a player who should have gotten significantly more than $300,000 by giving a million dollars to one of his cousins or something. You know, like, uh, again, speculation. We don't actually right. know what happened, but this would make sense from a perspective of like what kind of rule would have been circumvented that would have caused this to be investigated by Major League Baseball and lead the GM to resign is some kind of organizational edict to like skirt the rules and say, we don't care that we can't sign any of these players. We're going to figure out how to do it anyway. Right. Yeah. And I think, and, and so, uh, while baseless speculation, uh, ought probably to be avoided, I think what you're attempting to cultivate here is, um, is baseful. Um, <laughs> right. We're not saying this is what they did. Right, we're saying these are the kind, the kinds of things that could have caused. Right. In the absence of it, you're attempting to, yeah. you're attempting to look at the sort of, most common explanations. I think. I think on the one end, right, the um, looking at international signings, um, Latin American signings, um, simply because there have been other instances of that of uh, uh, organizational right. malfeasance. Uh, yeah. I think is one way that you could fra- phrase that. That that has occurred before. Uh, and yeah. then, I mean, it's actually pretty widespread. Like, I would actually hope, like, not to to give the Braves any kind of pass mm-hmm. here for breaking the rules, but, like, it's well known within Major League Baseball that a lot of teams do whatever they can to um, sign players and and bend or stretch or break the rules, and it's, like, when the Red Sox got uh, caught a few years ago packaging players together in order to get around the bonus rules, um, they were the ones who got caught, but, like, everybody does it. Or, maybe not everybody. A lot of teams do it. They were They were not the only one uh, using the kind of packaging method in order to sign players. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, you're familiar with Ben Badler as you taught him uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, English in college. Uh, other people are familiar with Ben Badler because he writes about international affairs for Baseball America. Um, and, you know, Ben's been writing about this for years. Is like the international scene in Major League Baseball is a cluster, mm-hmm. you know what. It is, a, it is just a total free-for-all, um, and it's not – kind of well-regulated, um, and it's not like the Braves and Red Sox are the only teams who are who are pushing the limits here. So hopefully, if you know, if this is a serious enough investigation that it led to the resignation of a GM, clearly the Braves were doing something pretty wrong. Um, hopefully this is Major League Baseball, the you know, maybe the first or second step in them kind of cleaning up the Wild Wild West and not just letting it be such a... Um, you know, such a a place ripe for corruption and, and yeah. yeah. I mean, like, because the the losers in this are really the kids, right? Like, I mean, we're talking about like, oh man, no, the Braves have to find a new GM. There's you know, 15 and 16 year old kids who are being taken advantage of by the system uh, in order to help Major League Baseball make more money, and that's the, that's the real issue here. That Major League Baseball needs to have a better system in place to take care of these children in other countries who right. are being exploited. Um, the Let's see. Oh yeah. Well, in terms of attempting to estimate, right, the um, the sort of, the sort of degree to which uh, there is, um, I guess, 
let's see. There's there's something going on, right? Uh, I remember uh, Brian Burke at um, I guess it was eventually it was called Advanced Football Analytics. Pro, I think Pro Football Analytics. Um, pro football stats, whatever it was called. Brian Burke. Advanced, advanced NFL stats. Yeah, advanced NFL stats. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he. Didn't you, didn't you work for them? For yeah, like I did days? work. Yeah, that's right. I actually have a sweatshirt that I wear <laughs> with some frequency, uh, with that. But, uh, he actually, he developed a way of estimating, uh, essentially attempting to estimate the value that, uh, defenders, um, exerted, right? Using win probability. And his idea was that, um, if you have, um, if you know, if you could estimate some of what they're 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 producing, right, and then the, some of the value that they create, you can assume that um, guys who create more value in one sphere of the game are also probably uh, producing more value in other spheres that you can't predict. Now, obviously, that's there's a bit of an assumption there, but he, he essentially said, like, here, look at here is a um, you know what? Here's a normal, uh, you know, bell curve graph. Normal, you know, normal distribution. If we can predict, if we know the value in like 25% of this, we can maybe estimate the rest of the 75% of of um, this distribution um, graph. I, and I'm curious, based on the, based on what we know of the, um, I guess, uh, illegal activities uh, being wrought. Um, in in baseball, uh, in the in the international market, uh, uh, how much of it ought we to project is occurring beyond that? Yeah, but it's hard to say. Uh, really, the information we have is mostly from like rumor and innuendo and other people who work for other organizations saying, "Hey, we think this organization's cheating," and you know, they, if they could prove it, they would go to Major League Baseball and be like, "Here's the evidence." Like they can't uh, necessarily do that, at least not without implicating themselves. Uh, so I don't think we know for certain how much is going on, but I do think that we can kind of look at the frequency with which Major League Baseball has had to change the international rules. Um, this is now the second GM in seven or eight years to resign due to um, international signing scandal, essentially. Uh, a former White Sox executive ended up in jail because of this um Stealing money from from prospects, um, you know the Red Sox just got punished a couple of years ago and were banned from signing all players. Like this is not an irregular thing that comes to light. So this isn't even the things that we don't know about, but the ones that are publicly um, are made public. You know we're like at every other year kind of scandal at this point. Um, so I think we can guess that like there's some pretty shady stuff going on. And when you have mm-hmm. um, the Buscone system and kind of the you know we're not even like we haven't even talked about the smuggling issue of getting players out of Cuba. Like there's um, there's ties to the mafia. Like um, you know a large part of the player procurement system uh, to get some of these players into Major League Baseball involves organized crime. Like, this is just not a great situation for Major League Baseball. And some of it's not crime per se, right? It's organized. It's, it's, or, it's horrible and, or, and, and organized, but it's not necessarily illegal. Well, right? yeah, so I would say, like, but what I mean, organized crime is that it's like using, like, gangsters to get people to where you need them to go in order to sign them or to hide them or to protect yourself. Like, you know, 
Obviously, in a lot of these countries, like Venezuela, where Major League Baseball used to have a pretty large presence and had the Venezuelan Winter League, like, everyone has basically had to leave and shut down their facilities because it's just not safe there anymore. Um, there's, uh, there's political issues in a lot of these countries that make it not so easy for Major League Baseball just to be like, let's just make this all super regulated and easy because there's ties between the Buscones and, and like the, you know, drug cartels in those countries. There's some like real serious issues here, but I don't think we can pretend that like, um, there's not some pretty serious, uh, acts of things that we would not stand for in this country happening in those countries mm-hmm. in order to facilitate Major League Baseball to be able to sign players for um, less money than they're worth. So I think I think we've probably addressed this before, but will you please revisit momentarily what you would regard as a system? This may not be the only way that uh, we could, you know, they would be able to reach an understanding of this sort. But what's an example of a system that might work for these players who um, are, you know, for lack of a better term, exploited and and then also, and also to ensure a sense of, um, a, to to achieve like a baseline standard, just of um, civility and decency, et cetera. Yeah. So I think yeah, we can actually tie this into like the weekend's news about college basketball, uh, where I think the University of Louisville was caught to have been found like. They were paying players, like every other college in the world is paying their players, and Rick Pitino, I think, got fired or was forced to, whatever, is on leave or something. Um, but we have two systems now within pretty close proximity that were basically designed to circumvent the market because there's clearly a demand for the universities to pay college players or to get those college players to come there, and there's enough money to... Use that as an incentive to get the players to go to those universities. Same thing is true in baseball where there's um, a significant amount of money to be made by these organizations if they can land the best young talent. Um, and the the system that Major League Baseball has put in place has basically said you can't spend that money on those players. Um, but the, the reality is when you set up a market or you set up a constraint that doesn't allow market forces to kind of determine the winner based on a bidding war – there's going to be attempts to circumvent that system. And so, um, you know, whether it's logistically possible or not, given kind of the players' associations um, focus on their own current members um, and obviously ownership's desire to keep, uh, you know, spending on amateur players as low as they can and spending in general, they want to, you know, they're incentivized to keep that down. Um, I think the the real fix for this would just be a, basically market-based system where, you know, if Kevin Maiton is worth $20 million, then he should get $20 million. And if, uh, you know, these guys, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is worth $15 million, then he should get $15 million, not $4 million, because he was, his signing bonus was artificially constrained by the, by the system. And so if you basically, if you create a system that doesn't allow the market to function, you're going to necessarily create a black market. You and know, I, and I want to, I want to express a, a, a profound sense of naivety that I had carried up until this very moment. And perhaps I've had a glimpse of this in the past, but if I understand what you're saying, and I I think I am, and it makes total sense now, is the degree to which, and the analogy with NCAA is very helpful because it's probably an even more extreme example, right? In the NCAA, in theory, you have a, a, a collection of players, and somehow... Um, many of the best players end up on the traditionally, very, uh, what are traditionally very strong teams. 
and you can ex- you can understand that from one sense be like they um, <clears throat> they are they understand that those are the that's the best chance for them to gain exposure to the NBA and uh, to win in college and both of those would be draws right yeah but there's the 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 most the most obvious way of negotiating with the players would be to give them money yeah and in the absence of that then you have to understand that they're that they are incentivized to go to these particularly strong basketball schools for some reason yeah and it's probably some form of remuneration uh yeah. in an illegal level and these schools happen to be they have they have the means to do it and they generally speaking have the capacity to conceal it i mean whether major league baseball or the ncaa like it there are real market uh effects taking place here where you have buyers and you have sellers and you have the people who have the abilities trying to sell their you know talents to a number of interested buyers and they have options and they get to make their choice if you constrain how much the buyers are allowed to pay, the sellers are necessarily going to try to figure out how to get around that constraint. Or the buyers are going to, either party is going to say, hey, look, you know, how do we avoid this artificial cap on what we both want? Like, you want $10 million, I want to give you $10 million, the league says I can only give you $2 million, or the NCAA says I can give you nothing. Uh, how do I get around this? How do I, um, make you get what you want and make me get what I want and we both come out ahead here. That's going to happen if you create a system that essentially tells the market that it can't work when you have supply and demand. And so, you know, in Major League Baseball's case, like, they have significantly valuable assets. Like, there's no question. Like, so let's just, like, Kevin Maiton was probably not um, probably the reason that the Braves got in trouble here, but he was the top international prospect they signed a year ago. Uh, and I think they signed him for four and a half million dollars. Um, I can state with pretty strong certainty that that was not the top offer he received as an international, uh, uh, free agent. And if he was made a free agent today, he would get at least double that and maybe three, four, five times that. Like, uh, I think when we see what, like, guys Juan Mukata signed for, it's pretty clear, like, the market for these top international talents is, um, orders of magnitude larger than what they're getting. And so when these teams are flush with cash and these players are flush with uh, extra value that the teams will get if they can somehow land that player, it is ridiculous to think that teams are not going to try to use their money in order to land the players. Like, you're just not going to have buyers and sellers be like, well, I want to give you money, and you want my money. Well, let's not try and figure out how to do this, despite the fact that there's rules in place saying we can't. Right, and and, and to go to return to this this analogy between the NCAA and, the, and uh, baseball and the way that international talent's acquired, um, <clears throat> the NCAA, for better and for worse, at least has a tradition of amateurism, Right. Traditionally, sure. so I mean, yeah. the, the athletes are not paid; they're not compensated for their for for you know going to a team. Baseball has no such tradition. I mean, unless you're going back to 1875, right? Yeah. And the Elysian, 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 Elysian fields in Brooklyn or whatever. Uh, sure. Players have been paid for some time. They've frequently been paid probably less than what the, the market would dictate. Uh, but because there were rules in place to allow that. But free agency has existed now for... I mean, free agency, like pure free agency, existed, what, 30-plus years now? Maybe nearly 40 years? 
Yeah, it was 76, 75. Yeah, you're right. Somewhere, somewhere around there, yeah. <clears throat> so it'd be 40 years. So, so, the, so there have been, the, so there are vehicles in place to, to pay players what the market would, would dictate. Some of the players, yeah. Some of the players, right. And for, for some time, there have been, there's been a vehicle in place to pay international free agents what they're worth, right? Yeah. Now I have to think, that now again, I, I express some naivety regarding this, but my I I am not a captain of industry, right? Sure. You, I think you're well aware of that. Yeah. I'm a captain of zero industries. I'm not even like Ho- a. Lo- hopefully, you're not a captain of anything. Right. No, I'm I'm not even a lieutenant of anything. Uh, <clears throat> but one assumes that th- those those parties who are in control of organizations. Have they tend to be older, and they tend to have some experience in business. And you would yeah. assume, or I mean, sh- shouldn't we assume that they that they have an understanding between this tension between, or that you know, if you essentially if you remove, um, if you re- remove the if, if you assume that that one like one player is sought after by thirty teams. But, yeah. but you remove the ability of all those teams to exert their muscle in a legal way financially, that they will turn to illegal methods of acquiring those players. Absolutely. I mean, that's what we've been writing about with Shohei Otani for months, right? Is like, we have a, there's a decent chance that one of the 10 best players in the world is going to have to sign a six year contract with some major league organization for somewhere between three and $10 million. When we think his open market value is probably between 200 and 300 million dollars. So we think that Shohei Otani is about to become something like a 190 to 240 million dollar asset for some club. That's like, you know, he might instantly become one of the most valuable assets in all of baseball. Uh, you know, up there with, you know, the Francisco Lindors of the world of like, we can't believe we have this incredible franchise player. You know, this is going to change the fate of our franchise for the next five to ten years. Um, and so you have this, like, 30 teams in baseball have a chance to acquire a f- potentially franchise-altering um, talent for, you know, 3% of his actual value or something. Um, there's just no way to think that everyone's just going to be like, well, the ethics of this say that I should just play by the rules and hope he picks me, and I'm going to stick with my 1 in 30 shot of landing him, because... People are self-interested, and um, rich people are used to breaking the rules and thinking that they can do whatever they want and get away with it. So, so, so if there's a cost-benefit analysis, right? The benefits of placing a cap on international free agents are obvious, right? Yeah, the benefits right. are that you keep costs down. Yeah. The cost, besides the you know what essentially amounts to a to to pretty modest fees relative to what these players would be worth in the free market there there, but there's this extra cost right and that's what we're now again we don't know specifically what what happened with john coppola but we know that we know kinds of things that have happened before and this this incident with coppola reminds us that this has happened this is a different type of cost it is a cost of what legitimacy a cost of um, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a scandalous cost that probably. Yeah, but I mean, it reduces the amount of trust that people have in baseball, um, in in terms of uh, ethical handling of players. 
right? So like, there's some. I would say if you're not necessarily a, a fan of a team, but you're just a fan of the game, these kinds of things have to hurt your overall enjoyment of the sport itself. So I think like we can point to the NFL of like there are a lot of people out there who are football fans who are not NFL fans because they don't like the way the league has handled a number of things over the last few years, whether it's CTE or domestic violence or you know the anthem, whatever it may be. Like it, the feeling is that the NFL is mishandling the sport that people enjoyed watching. And I think, you know, not major baseball is not there, but if you have too many of these kinds of things where people just say, look, I really like watching baseball, but I don't like the way the league is getting players into the league, getting players, funneling them into this and funneling them to certain teams. And I feel like this is an unfair structure. Um, you know, then I think it reduces people's enjoyment of the, of the sport as a whole. What's the, say if, if we'll, we'll use the NFL examples, we'll keep it away from baseball. Say you have, X number of people who love football, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and and then and now now why why will be the number of people who will still watch football uh, even if the NFL if considered the worst league, right? Like they did everything terrible, right? They played. Well, this is what's happening. I think. Well, no, no. I'm saying like straight <laughs> like like they murder one out of every ten fans who comes into the stadium. <laughs> they play. Bloody, violent, pornographic films on the big jumbotron during the entire game, like everything that could that could ca- cause disgust among the sorts of folks who would, uh, you know, be who have been attending games, right? Yeah. What's how would you what What's the highest number or what's the lowest Y would ever get, right? If you say so, I said X is people who love football. Y right. is people who will continue to watch football regardless <laughs> of what happens on the uh, regardless how how poorly managed the league is. I mean one we have to account for the fact that people like there's a certain subset of America who would go to the game more often if they showed bloody pornographic films <laughs> on the jumbotron <laughs> so you'd have like a new audience okay. uh, that wouldn't necessarily be there for the That's football. That's true I anymore. guess if you tr- if you pervert the game in some ways there'll be some of like mm, I'm kind yeah, of right, like, I wasn't interested before but I'm in <laughs> okay. now. All right. Uh, yeah. yeah I mean I would get like I would bet that probably like half the football fans out there and this is just you know me totally making up a number. Right. Um just don't care. Like they're gonna watch for football, and like no matter what the league does, like you can't you can't turn them away. They're they're the true believers in football. They're gonna watch every Sunday, no matter what. Right. So so there's there's always going to be in any particular set like that. There's going to be a collection of players of of fans, whatever. It's impossible to alienate, basically. Yeah. Unless what? Unless what if you made it not like football? What if what if instead of tackling, you had to give like a like a long, soulful embrace. <laughs> uh, well, again, I think there would be a new audience for that. People would be like, oh, look at this. this is, I get to watch these guys in spandex hugging. This is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I would guess that if you changed football entirely to where, like, you know, instead of tackling, you get to use, like, a knife to, like, shiv your opponent, you would That's see. Dark. Yeah. Yeah, well, this whole conversation has been pretty dark for the last few minutes. Uh, I would imagine that if you change the actual structure of what the game is, then you risk losing most of the population. Okay. All right. All right. So, th- so those are some options. I guess I'm just curious as to – I so, sorry, the reason I was asking those questions is to bring it back to this conversation about baseball um, and about the cost that the owners have considered, right? Because you ha- I'm assuming, and perhaps this is an incorrect assumption, that the owners are were aware 
that while they were receiving a benefit of some sort from uh, from expanding the cap on international free agents and creating one in the first place, a cap on spending, that there would be another cost that would be uh, produced by that cap, which would be yeah. the increased chance of malfeasance. I will continue to use the word malfeasance because I don't, I don't have my uh, thesaurus uh, next to me, so I would just say malfeasance the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, like, how well thought out this was at the ownership level. Like, my sense is that the general entirety of the push towards capping international spending was because uh, there was a sense that it was unfair that a 16-year-old from another country could get 40 or $50 million, while an 18-year-old from America could only get 2 or $3 million through the draft. Um, and they didn't like the inequity that came from significantly rewarding foreign players more than domestic players. And so rather than um, raising the prices on domestic players, they reduced the prices on foreign players in order to try and be more fair. Uh, I don't think that there was a, as far as I know, a, a meeting of the minds where all the owners got together and said, um, hey, look, if we reduce the spending on all these um, international players, we're all just going to end up spending more money on major league free agents. And then so instead of like giving more money to the Vladimir Guerrero juniors of the world, we're going to give more money to the Mike Dunn's of the world. We should definitely do that. Like, I don't think people thought through that, but that's basically what happens. Like as much as we talk about like major league baseballs exploiting these kids and they absolutely are, uh, it's not that they're necessarily just pocketing the profits, right? Like these are still, um, uh, competitive billionaires who are trying to beat each other. Mm-hmm. And so the money that they're not spending on international players, they're probably still spending. They're just spending it on other things. Um, and so it's more of a redistribution issue than like a not spending entirely issue. So if, if you look at it and say, you know, I'm not even sure how much money Major League Baseball is saving in aggregate. They're just spending it in a different portion of their budget. Mm-hmm. Um, is it really worth it for Major League Baseball to not one, like – the ethical problems that go along with exploiting, um, you know, the international yeah. market and yeah, all the, the issues people, that go right. along with it. Right. Um, but two, also just like the inefficiency of giving mediocre middle relievers four-year contracts while we have these like uh, otherworldly talents who are you know signing for a fraction of their market value. Like, why is that good for the game? I don't think anyone in the ownership had that discussion uh, or has had that discussion. Like, you know, in my from my view, I've written about this a number of times. I'm still of the opinion that the, the the ultimate solution to this, if Major League Baseball wanted to get really serious about these issues, is to abolish both the draft domestically and internationally and the international signing rules and just dramatically change the way that money is allocated to um, or is spent in general and just say, look, if you're rebuilding, you can spend as much money as you want on young talent because that's the efficient thing to do and it makes sense. And if you want to spend $50 million on kids from Latin America, go, go right ahead. So... On the one hand, um, there is the issue of players receiving um, receiving what they're worth, right? Receiving an amount equivalent yeah. to what they're worth in the market. And then there's also the issue of retaining some level of parity in the league. Right. And yeah. at some level, th- those two forces are at odds, right? Absolutely. Right. And and I I think that they're both they're both probably worthwhile goals. Uh, it's you know. Um, there's something to be said for having a certain level of parity. Uh, I think that probably I feel like studies have shown that having a couple of teams to hate that are perpetually good actually might be good in terms of like might, might um, 
be of some benefit to fandom because it's always you want some villain. Yeah, you want you want a villain, right? Um, but it's not good for it's not good for those markets, right? If, if, if they never have a chance because of they're not receiving. But of course, you know, obviously, um, um, you know, sh- <coughs> revenue sharing can can solve some of these problems too. Yeah, and I think like the proposals that I've kind of written about, which are you know pie in the sky, they're not going to happen. Major Baseball isn't considering them; probably would never consider them. Is you don't necessarily just let any team spend whatever they want. You basically say, here's your overall spending pool. You can spend this on your GM, your team president, your ball boys, your players, mm-hmm. your international signings, your whatever. Here's your total pool of money. Spend it however you want. So if a team wants to win, then they're going to allocate you know eighty percent of their spending to their on-field payroll because they already have, you know, Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and all those guys. They don't have any money left over to go sign 16-year-old kids from a Latin American country. But if you're, you know, the Padres, why should you have to go throw some, throw money at, you know, Shuli Safsin or something like that? Like, just go let them spend their money on every kid they can possibly think of because they're going to be terrible forever. Yeah, right. So they're, right. And, and there's not really any sort of, I mean, obviously the luxury tax creates a, creates a de facto cap, but it's, um, yep. It's not the same thing as a as a hard right. salary cap. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think like the reality is like Major League Baseball isn't going to go for this kind of system. Um, but until they have some kind of more market based system for funneling very valuable assets to teams with lots of money, there's always going to be um, the incentive and the ability for teams to get around those rules. And Major League Baseball is going to have to keep dealing with issues like this unless they can figure out how to put strict enough consequences in place that people don't do this. Right. Uh, can you tell me what the latest is? I know we've been talking here for a little bit. What's the latest uh, to, to return to the, the situation with John Coppola? What's the, what's the latest that we know about him? Or, uh, well, he resigned. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's officially out as the team's general manager. Uh, John Hurt, who um, is the president of baseball operations, looks like he's just going to step back into the GM role until they decide to find a new one. It will be interesting to see as the details come out, like, um, not, you know, certainly again, we don't know any, we don't know anything about what happened. Um, Hart was, you know, pretty well involved in baseball operations. How he will manage to say, I didn't know anything about this and this was happening without my understanding will be interesting to see if that comes out and, or whether the Braves just say, look, we're going to clean house. If it comes out that it's bad enough, um, or if it's, you know, laws were potentially being broken. Uh, you could potentially see an entire house cleaning where the organization just says, okay, everybody involved with, um, anything over the last few years is gone and we're going to start over. Um, more likely it's going to be, uh, Coppola and Gordon Blakely, who was the team's international scouting director. Um, they're going to be the fall guys, um, and Hart will, um, you know, kind of run the team until they find a new GM to take over. Right. You know, um, in a piece that he wrote, and I think one of the, uh, one of our readers cited this in the, um, the post uh, that you wrote, uh, which was announcing the, the resignation, uh, uh, the beginning of April, uh, Travis Hutchick wrote a piece called John Hart's Giving Tree of Innovation. And, and perhaps you have yep. this in mind, too, when you're commenting about this. But it's like it's very clear that uh, John Hart and John Coppola have like a uh, a strong working relationship and <laughs> they're frequently in contact with each other. Um, yeah. I mean, this. Like, certainly things can happen without a superior's knowledge. Um, we're not saying that's sure. impossible. Uh, depending on the breadth of the, um, the... Malfeasance? Uh, infraction. Yeah, the malfeasance, depending on what happened. Um, uh, it might be, 
challenging for anyone to seriously believe that no one above Coppola knew. I would like to state uh, this is this is not uh, this would not take the form of baseball analysis. However, uh, one reflects upon his or her life at times like these, and I would like to state how I I enjoy that my life is so low stakes. Dave Cameron, there's nothing (laughs) in my life that incentivizes me to to uh, do anything illegally. Do you know what I mean? It's a very nice feeling. There's no one's like you have. Yeah. Oh, you have to. Uh, uh, you know, you have to use a, a different style guide sometimes when you're editing the post at Fangraphs. I'm going to warn you that you're about yeah, to get barked at. There it is. There, there it goes. Let me uh, let me go through her in the car real quick. Play the. Uh, I guess we'll play the Fangraphs old music for the moment. All right. She was sleeping peacefully in my lap for like 98% of that podcast, and then I saw her jump down and bow, and I was like, oh, here we go. Well, it, uh, I know you have to go. Uh, in any case, um, I don't know uh, I don't know if we've reached any resolutions here, but uh, we've attempted to. Well, I will say also that I am happy that you are also not in charge of any serious events. Great. Yeah. We are, we are agreed in that then. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Dave Cameron. Well, I feel like... Uh, I think what we uh, we attempted to understand some of the issues at, at play here and uh, using whatever information we had available to us. Sure, yeah, I think that's, that's correct. That's good. That as yeah. well as we can do, isn't it? Uh, okay. Hey, uh, well, Dave Cameron, uh, stick around for a moment. But for the meantime, thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, that has been managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. 